Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Juror Number One. So, another episode last week of people being sent to jail for really nothing. But this episode this week is one that is a little strange. And I guess we'll talk at the end and see what you thought should happen. So, this week is a murder in cold water. This story starts out in February of 2009. Thomas Foley was taking his 10-year-old son, Heath, and one of his friends to a birthday party. His wife, Dee Dee, was going to meet them at the party, so they left her there and uh, went off. Well, they were at the party for a few hours, and Dee Dee never showed up. But they really didn't think too much of it. They thought maybe she had just got caught up or, you know, they didn't think the worst. So after a few hours, Thomas heads home and walks in only to find why Dee Dee hadn't shown up to the party. In their first floor bathroom, he found his wife Dee Dee, naked and dead in the shower. His wife had been shot at almost point blank range with a shotgun while she was in the shower. Thomas, obviously losing his mind, he's seeing the love of his life dead here, calls the police frantically, saying that something's happened to my wife, you need to get here right away. The police show up, and they see that Dee Dee had in fact been shot within six inches of her head by a shotgun. So they start to process the scene and ask questions try to get to what happened to this poor woman, a grisly crime in a somewhat quiet small town. So they start with uh, who they obviously start with is usually the two people who are suspects, the husband or wife or the person that finds a body. And in this case, that's both. So they ask him, what, did, what were you at today? What was, what, what, what's the timeline of today? So they asked Thomas first. And he says it was just a normal day. They took their son Heath to a basketball game. They went shopping. They came home and to get ready to uh, go to the birthday party. And Dee Dee was going to drive separately. And that was it. But they interviewed Heath, the son who was 10 at the time, about how his day was and what happened. Heath had a little thing that he told police that they thought was pretty interesting. You see, Heath told the police that while him and his friend were playing before they went to the party, he heard a loud crash, a loud noise, and they thought, wow, well, that's 
Thomas didn't mention that. And the friend asked as well, what were they doing before they left for the party? And he said the same thing, that he was playing with Heath and they heard a loud crash from inside the home. Okay. Well, they go back to Thomas and they're like, well, your son and his friend told us about a loud crash. And he goes, oh, oh, oh that's, that's nothing. That's nothing. Um, I was moving some of these old barn windows, and I dropped one, and it shattered everywhere. And I, I cleaned up the glass and threw it away. So that's easy explanation for that. And I thought, oh, well, maybe. Okay, well, we'll see. So the police continue investigating the crime scene, and there's just a few things that aren't adding up for them. You see, Thomas said that when he came home, she was dead in the shower. And she'd been taking a shower and she got shot while she was showering. But the shower was dry. Well, that doesn't add up. If he had to turn off the shower when he got there, how could it be dry so fast? Okay. Well, maybe he just, you know, lost track of facts. I don't know. So they investigate a little bit further, and they go down to the basement. And they find a bag with shotgun shells in it. They ask Thomas about these shotgun shells. And he's like, I don't even know how to use a shotgun. Why would I have any shotgun shells in the house? I'm like, okay, okay, well... Let's process this and see uh, what we can find. Okay, so they checked that in as evidence. They go through the rest of the house and everything is, it looks ransacked, like a robbery happened there. But nothing outside of some credit cards were taken. But it did look like a robbery had taken place because things were just scattered everywhere. But again, the police are like, well, there's some really expensive things they could have taken, but they didn't take. Maybe they got scared and got out of there. I don't know. So they want to talk to Thomas a little bit more because some things just aren't adding up. Well, here's what happens is they process that bag that had the shotgun shells in it, the one that Thomas had never seen before. Well, guess what happened? On that bag was his fingerprints. So he'd obviously seen this bag before because his fingerprints were on it. His fingerprints were on a bag that was holding shotgun shells, the same shells that were used to kill his wife. So they thought about it. It doesn't seem like they thought long and hard about it, but all the evidence they had pointed to Thomas. And there was just one more thing. Because you see, just a few weeks before Dee Dee has been murdered, she had a $700,000 life insurance policy taken out on her. And who is the beneficiary? One Thomas Foley, her husband. So, with that, they charged Thomas with her murder. 
They think that talking to the son and his friend, hearing the crash, that was the sound of her dying. The fingerprints, all of that, they charge him with murder. And it goes to trial. And this trial was... I want your opinion. What would you do in this situation? So it goes to trial, and they start bringing up all of this evidence. The prosecution says they call his son... Heath, who is, I believe, 12 at the time, to the stand, and they say, what happened that day? And he said that that they were playing outside, and he heard a loud crash, and then his dad told him that him and his friend should just wait in the car, and he'll be ready in a second to take him to the uh, birthday party. They did some tests, and they thought that that sound could have been a shotgun blast. But it's not conclusive, but they told the jury that that would be comparable to the sound. And this is his own son saying this about him. So you got to take that however you want to, really, I guess. So then they go on and they say that, what about this bag? The defendant says that he's never seen this shotgun shells or this bag ever in his whole life. But his fingerprints are on it. So that should be a blatant lie by Thomas right there. How was his fingerprints on this bag with shells that killed his wife if he's never seen it? Okay. The defense also says that he shot his wife because he was not happy in the marriage. But he tells everybody that, yeah, we went through counseling years ago, but we were, we were great. Well, Thomas, guess what? They call up one of Didi's co-workers, and she says, just a little while ago, two years ago, he propositioned her for sex. That's not someone who's in a happy marriage that he describes. Also, they bring another person to testify. And this woman comes over to just console Thomas. It was within a week or two after uh, his wife had just died. And they start to have sex, but they stop. But they have her on the stand saying that We both tried to have sex, but we stopped because, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. Is that someone who's grieving his wife? I don't know. So, then they also take a look at his statement. He said that when he came home, she was in the shower, the shower was running, he turned it off the water checked her and then called the police but the but the shower was completely dry when the cops got there within 30 minutes those are a few lies that stack up right here's one other one the prosecution presented that Didi's brother said that within the last few months he had a shotgun stolen from his house but he didn't report it because he didn't think anything of it what Why the hell wouldn't you report a gun that's been stolen from your house? 
Well, it was also the same kind of gun that was used in this murder. And the defense tries to refute all of this. They say that Thomas was changing that window. They Like, it broke. That was the sound. He loved Dee Dee very much. They went through couples counseling. And yes, he did. There was a rough patch a few years ago when he did hit on this her co-worker. But they'd since went to counseling and everything was great and they were happier than ever. And then they ask about the insurance policy. And he doesn't, he said that, doesn't have much to say, he said that they both took out policies on each other. But $700,000 is a lot. But is that a reason to kill somebody? Maybe. So, that was basically the case. What would you find in this case? Well, Thomas was found guilty of murdering his wife. But that, again, is not where the story ends. You see, he hasn't even been sentenced yet. And the police get these tips, multiple tips, which is also strange. This woman sees it in the paper that he's been found guilty, and she calls the police, and she goes, oh, my God, no, he didn't do this. I know he didn't. It was one of his neighbors. She said that she saw a white car around the time that this murder took place screaming out of their driveway and out of town. Another person calls in, says they saw a white car leaving their property around the time of the murder. And another person calls in. But this time it was a like a black SUV. But hearing this, they grant him a new trial. Already. Crazy, right? So, they're going to give him a new trial. And this time they're going to go through everything again and some things might change. So with the new trial, the defense brings in these new eyewitnesses that says they saw, you know, a younger man in a white car leaving the property around 3.30 or 4. And this time, the judge didn't allow the woman who said they had sex right after the, a week after the death. Because it shouldn't have been admissible. And then a little piece of evidence shows up. You see, the police or the defense had their investigator go back out to the house. And on that porch where he said that he dropped that glass, that was the big sound. Well, they find a small piece of broken glass that fits exactly in that window that was broken. Crazy, right? So with the new evidence, Thomas is found not guilty and set free to go. But here's what I want you to think about here, because I am totally on the fence right now. I don't know if they got it right either time. You see, there is what the police say. There is zero evidence that points to anyone else but Thomas. 
But I thought all the evidence was somewhat weak except for that fingerprint on the bag. But who knows who they could have planted, like the, the killer could have planted that. And whenever the woman was shot point blank with a shotgun, and he had no residue on or around his body or blood splatter or anything. I honestly have no idea who killed this woman. I guess all signs would point to the husband, but yeah, so I don't know. And it's like the case is still, quote, open, but it's got to be terrible for that family not knowing who actually killed their daughter and that poor boy to, who killed his mother. So do your own research on it. Tell me who you think actually killed her. And maybe there is a killer walking free. Maybe there's not. Anyway, that's been this week's Juror Number One episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And please do me a giant favor and have just a wonderful week, would you? We'll be back next week. Farewell. <laughs>